Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attacked those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, he said, fight. You can't fight. He said, withstand. You can't withstand. He said, stand. What does it mean to stand? He said, don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we've got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it as I said, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. We're glad that you're here. Uh, looking forward to another session. You see the title there, talking about Calvinism. So last, um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Calvinism and we said why we disagree with all five points of Calvinism. And what we said we wanted to do is to take uh, a week on each point and go through the verses that, quote, they use, that Calvinists use to be able to um, build their position. And so we're going to do that today. First, I want to introduce my guest. Um, and I have uh, with me my second oldest son, my fourth oldest child, Jonathan Baker. How are you doing today? I am doing well. Awesome. Glad to have you on here. And uh, how old are you? I am 26. 26. And uh, what do you do for work? Uh, currently, I uh, am a garage door technician installer. <laughs> garage door technician and installer. So, uh, um, so that's like a minimum wage job. You just barely survive in taking care of your family. Uh, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, he's been very, very blessed and um, and running his own business and uh, and uh, doing well. And uh, married and child. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, I, I'm married. Uh, coming up on on two years, we have uh, an eight month old little girl um, that is uh, learning all the time. It's awesome <laughs> to see these stages. Uh, having my own child now, so it's 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 a lot of fun. Amen. It is so much fun. We love it. She, um, his, Jonathan's wife has blonde, blonde hair. Well, their baby girl is white. I mean, it's just, it's so blonde. It's white. And, uh, she's uh, just adorable. So, uh, so your spiritual life, we joked about last week, you know, being a carpenter and that's what you did for years. Um, so spiritually, uh, what do you do for the Lord, uh, and trying to serve the Lord and be faithful to him? Well, uh, other than trying to lead my family correctly as, as a man, uh, for the, for the church, I'm a, I'm a bus captain. Um, I get to work with, uh, with kids and, and, uh, sort of bus director too, um, just leading up all that. And then, uh, um, I work with our men's home and do devotions with them. Um, I've helped some guys personally get a job through me with me, um, through that. And, uh, and then I also teach a Sunday school class, uh, uh, the teen boys, um, and, uh, just anything that comes up that God allows me to do, I try to step in and, and, uh, do what I can. Awesome. And also enjoy singing, get to sing for the Lord. So, uh, Jonathan, um, a lot of my kids, we all sing as a family, but a lot of the kids are like, I don't want to sing solo. I don't want to sing solo. They'll sing anything. And I don't want to sing solo. And Jonathan said, dad, if you need someone, I don't feel like I'm a good soloist, but if you need someone to sing a solo, I'll be glad to. And so Jonathan does a good job with that too. So, all right, let's jump into this. Want to give a introduction just so you know who's here and what we're doing. So, um, so again, talking about Calvinism, and um, again, if you missed last or two weeks ago, go ahead and uh, go back and listen to that. 
And uh, we're not going to go through all that. We're going to try to stay on one point for time and uh, to see how long we have here. All right. So um, we're going to go through the verses that they use for point number one, total depravity. And so, um, and like we said last time, many of these we agree with. We believe we are depraved. We believe we're sinners. We believe the verses, of course, that they use. So Genesis 6, 5, uh, God saw the wickedness of man uh, was in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts was only, uh, thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. Obviously, we believe that. That's the way it was. A man is wicked and evil. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? We believe that. We do not believe then the goodness of man, that man is normally naturally pretty good. No, man is rotten. Men are sinners. We believe that. Romans 3, 10, um, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understand it. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. We use that every week of our life. Yes, we believe that. We are sinners. Um, we we have no problem with the understanding. And that's why some people talk about their one-point Calvinists. They, they believe, you know, uh, this one point. Yes, we believe that man is deprived. When they explain it, we talked about this two weeks ago in R.C. Scroll. he changes all of these a little bit and the total inability total depravity. We're sinners. We deserve hell. There's nothing good in ourselves that can get us saved, earn salvation, anything. We got that. But when they change it to total inability, that you do not have even an ability to come to God um, unless God brings that in you, that's the part that we have a problem with, the total inability, okay? So I'm going to read a verse and then uh, go to John. Then we're going to get into a base structure. By the way, you have maybe listen to a lot of Calvinism, okay? But I don't think you've heard this. And if you get this point, okay, it is foundational. If you get this, this could shed so much truth on your life. Number one, you will never go into the error of Calvinism. And and if you're a Calvinist and you're listening to me and you're just trying to get points where you can fight and, and write against me or do a podcast against me, please listen to this point. And we want to be as kind and generous. We don't trying to bash or put you down. Uh, I could be a friend and talk to you and things there, but doctrine, the purity of scripture and what God says and what God means is so important. And this foundational point, I think will be so big. So let me uh, read just one verse and then go off on that. So Romans eight, it says, but the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And so we want to show and make the difference and to understand about the flesh. And we many times don't understand this. So Jonathan, why don't you take us back to Genesis and uh, explain uh, to everyone where we're going and why. Awesome. Uh, Like you said, uh, um, we agree with total depravity uh, that we are completely uh, in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. But we don't agree with the conclusion that that they've come up to. The conclusion that because you are that way with with all your sin and there's nothing good in you, because you are depraved, therefore you cannot accept salvation on your own. So I, I believe you could just have Genesis. If you just read Genesis and never went into anything else, you could never get mixed up. Um, and this right here will solidify everything um, and make sense of all the New Testament. Um, so right here, let's go to First uh, Genesis 2 and verse 9. Genesis 2, 9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So right here, everybody knows this passage where God created these two trees, one, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then in chapter, uh, chapter three in verse six and seven, um, or did I skip, uh, verse six, excuse me. Chapter 2, verses uh, 16 and 17 first. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. And verse 17 of chapter 2. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day 
that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So God first put the tree there, and then he gave them a commandment that of every tree they can eat of, except the one, and in that day thou shalt surely die. Now we know the story. It doesn't seem like that they died. Um, in, ver in chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, um, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So in this moment right here, we have what I believe is the first mentioning of what would be considered a conscience. The eyes of them were opened. They ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and now their eyes were opened. Uh, Calvinists and, and listening to, to all of what they're talking about, this is the doctrine of the original sin. So they ate of the tree, and therefore sin is now entered into the world, right? Sin right here entered into the world, and now sin goes to every man. Um, this right here is the original sin. Now every man has sin in their life. The problem that they're overlooking here is what was the tree that they ate of? What was the name of the tree? The tree is called the tree of what? Knowledge, Knowledge. of good and good evil. And good and evil. Good and evil. Not just evil. And so if, which we agree, if, if you have sin that is entered in from every man, we, we believe from the beginning, when you're born, you have a sin nature. We agree with that. But there's also something else. There's something else that fits into there. You have to have it. You can't just take one without the other. other. If there's sin, then you also have to apply that they can have the knowledge of good and evil. This right here is where the conscience is formed. The conscience is formed. Um, in, uh, in Genesis 2, 7, and the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the bread of life, and man became a living soul. And this is the next part that I want to get on. So we just said that, that because of sin, every man has sinned. But then there's that other part, and 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 here I'll mention uh, another uh, group of people that we don't follow that we're not in this too is is Pelagianism. Pelagius, Pelagius talked about that man has not fallen; only Adam did, and and so that not all men are corrupt. And that's that's uh, Pelagius in his position, and then there's semi-Pelagius that think that men has not completely fallen that in the way uh rc sproul put it there was uh an island of good that semi-pelagius believe that there's an island of good and we don't agree with that we don't believe that there is an island of good in a man we believe that in our flesh dwelleth no good thing so then where where does it fit that there can be something else inside a man that can somehow accept God? And this is where it fits in. Man became a living soul. This is where people overlook. We are made in the image of God, right? God, God created us in his image. What is he? He's three parts. People forget that, and they, they look at us as the one part. In our flesh dwelleth no good thing. Yes, that's correct. But we have three parts. We are a body, a soul, and a spirit. There are all three parts. In our flesh, in our body, dwelleth no good thing. That right there, yes, in your flesh dwelleth no good thing. When Adam and Eve died, what died in them? What the was spirit. it that died? The, the spirit, spirit died. The spirit is what died, and that is what has to be born again. What has to be born? Ye must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. We must be born again. Everybody seems to just brush over that we are a three-part being, that there is a body, and that body is flesh, and that will always be corrupt. Your flesh cannot be redeemed. You will not take this to heaven. When we go to heaven, right. we, we understand we get a glorified body. 
We're not taking this. In our flesh dwelleth no good thing. So then what has to be reborn? And, and Nicodemus says it. He's like, can I enter into my mother's womb again and be born? He's like, no. And, and, and that's why Jesus explained to him, no, no, no. Your spirit has to be born again because it died. It died and it on, only through Jesus can it be reborn. So what is that other part? Your soul. Your soul is what is there that has in it the ability to know good and evil. What would be uh, the conscience of a man? This is something that is given to every man the same way that we have a sin nature, then we also have a conscience built in. Um, there are many things to do uh, with our conscience. We can, uh, we can sear our conscience and, and cause uh, our conscience to not be what it should be. But that right there is the, is the ability to accept the good gift. And this is the other point I'd like to make right here. Accepting Christ is not a good work. Right. It is, it is not a, and and the the term that R.C. Sproul uses is uh, um, total inability that we are morally enable. Right. He is assuming that accepting the goodness of God is a is a good action. It's amoral. Accepting the goodness of God of salvation is not any goodness on our part. It's actually realizing how bad we are. And our soul is what allows us to do that. Our soul is what allows us to realize that we are so bad and that we have to accept the goodness of God. And that is within every single human being that God gave them a soul. And, and so it is because we are bad that, that we have a soul that can tell us, hey, you need God, and then we can accept that. If I give someone a $100 bill, right, I was the one who did the good because I gave them the money. Them accepting it, it wasn't good. It might be beneficial to them, but it wasn't a goodness on their part. They just accepted it. When you accept Christ, the only person it benefits is you. You haven't done any good thing. So to try to say that you are so bad that you can't accept good, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's an amoral decision. It is accepting the goodness of God, and it doesn't take a morally good person. It takes someone who realizes how bad they are, and they can do that because they have the tree, the tree that's passed down the same as sin nature is also passed down. Amen. I hope you got that. I'm going to summarize that too, and then we're going to go on from there. But to understand so much truth um, is not gotten because we don't understand body, soul, and spirit. Um, I've taught, I don't know if you've heard it, but um, where did Jesus go when he died? Okay. And um, people get in baits and fights and arguments, and I've never heard anybody just simply ask the questions. Okay. When I teach this, I ask people questions. So you answer it for me. When, where did Jesus go when he died? Oh, okay. And you know your pat thought that's been taught. Okay. Let me ask you this. Where did his body go when it died? Oh, uh, in the tomb. No one argues with that, right? Body went in the tomb. Everybody got it? Joseph, Arimathea took the body and went in the tomb. Is the tomb the heart of the earth? No, the tomb's not even really under the earth. It's a tomb. I've been in the garden tomb. It's not in the heart of the earth. Okay. It's a tomb. Body went in the tomb. Where did the spirit go? Jesus said, Father, unto thee, I commit my spirit. And he told the thief on the cross, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So where did the spirit go? The spirit went to heaven with the father. Okay, that's where the spirit went. Where did the soul go? Psalm 1611, Acts chapter 2, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Jesus preached to the spirits that were disobedient during the once long suffering days of Noah. He preached to them and said, look, Noah preached for 120 years about Messiah. I'm him. You rejected him. And Jesus was three days and three nights in where the what? Heart of the earth. Three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Here's what happened. Because we don't understand body, soul, and spirit, we say, where did Jesus go? Well, uh, he went to his father, but he also went to paradise. So that way, uh, paradise must be in the heart of the earth. That's how they come up with that because they're not thinking body and soul and spirit. I've taught this. It is heresy to many people that I would even say that. But when I ask them those questions, everybody, wow, oh, 
Okay. Yeah. How do you disagree with that? The body and the tomb, the spirit with the father uh, in paradise. Look up paradise. Paradise is only ever talked about in heaven. Look up every verse in the Bible that talks about paradise. Paradise is only ever talked about in heaven. Where did his soul go? According to Psalm 16 and Acts 2, and went to hell. Same thing. We do not understand the beginning. In the beginning, God gave man, God breathed into his life, the breath of life. He became a living soul. Okay. Genesis 2 verse 7. And his body obviously, he's soul, obviously, and he's spirit, communicates with God. He said, when you eat of the fruit, you're going to die. What died? Physically? No. Soul? No. What died? Spirit died. Very simple. So now he's body and soul. Can a soul, unsaved soul, no good from evil? <laughs> obviously, after he sinned, uh-oh, we're naked. We got So can a soul, no good and evil? And then God says, I'm going to give you these verses there, um, God, Romans 2.15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Someone that is unsaved and has a soul, that soul there knows good and evil. The law is written on our hearts. Ten Commandments. We know thou shalt not kill. No one has to tell us that. That's written on our hearts, our conscience bearing witness. Now, listen to this. Well, I don't, I don't know about that. Okay. Unsaved. Remember the story when they caught the man in the act of adultery and they brought her to Jesus. And okay, Moses said, Stoner, what do you say? Okay. After he wrote on the ground, then it says, and they which heard it being convicted, convicted by their what? Own conscience. Unsaved people, but they knew they were convicted of their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. Jesus was left alone and and the woman standing uh, in the midst. Our conscience knows good from evil. And their conscience was convicted, unsaved people, and they knew that. So, um, the total inability, we can't come to God. Well, what about John 6? We're coming to John 6, okay? But please understand this foundational piece, why people misunderstand this. They don't understand we're body. In our flesh dwelleth no good thing, okay? Paul said uh, to Will is present with me, how to perform that which is good, I, I, I find not. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body, okay? This is a sinful, wicked flesh, and there's it's not good, it's not saved, it can't be redeemed, but there's another part of us, a soul, and that soul can accept a free gift given to us by a loving God. The soul can. And if you don't understand that, that's why you start off with this from the beginning wrong, the total depravity or the total inability. You start with that because of that. All right, Jonathan, on that point, anything else you want to say? Uh, I said the same thing and summarize it. And does that uh, make sense? Anything else we missed on that point? No, I don't think so. I think we we covered as long as people can understand that we are three parts, and and that's not that's not that difficult to understand. But when you apply that to the rest of these verses that we're going to go through, understand. Remember through all of this that it is talking about not just your flesh, not just your spirit or your soul. It's talking about different things at different times. And when you rightly divide the word of truth, all of this is going to make sense. Amen. John 6, we're going to get into it in a little bit, but but on this point, John 6, 63, remember this, it is a spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak to you, unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Our flesh was no good things. The flesh profiteth nothing. We agree. We are totally depraved. Um, we agree with that because that's our flesh. But in our soul, the law was written on our hearts. We have a conscience and we can choose good. We're not good because we choose good. God is good because he gives us an opportunity, but we can choose good because we have a soul and we know good from evil. Okay. All right. So, um, and again, what I did was I went and looked up a bunch of different places, all the verses that Calvinists use to defend point number one, total depravity. Okay. That's where I got all these from. So, um, so we started off and went through, um, went through some of those. So by the way, when you look at the conscience, it says good conscience six or seven times, but our conscience can be seared with a hot iron. You keep um, not listening to the conscience. It can turn bad. There can be an evil conscience according to Hebrews 10. Okay. So our conscience is not perfect. Our conscience is not everything. Our conscience is there to lead us to God. Okay. To written the law 
want our hearts. Oh, I know I'm a sinner. I need help to lead us to God. And we'll talk more about that in another point. But understanding our conscience is not the end all. Okay. Neither is the law. The law is not the end all. The law is the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Okay. The law and the conscience are both to get us to Jesus. So they're not the end all, but they are there to be able to point us good and evil and things that are right where we can know, wow, Jesus died for me. I have a choice to accept him. I want to. All right. Um, Ephesians chapter two, Jonathan, I'm going to read it. And in the context of what we just talked about, pretty simple. Ephesians two, and you had the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, uh, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So they use that. See, you are dead. You are dead in trespasses and sins. A dead person cannot choose anything. That's a big point they use. So Jonathan? Absolutely. And, and, and at the end of the verse, it says, and we're by nature, the children of wrath. It talks about the man fleshly nature and, and we are dead in trespasses and sin. All of this is true. Your flesh in your flesh dwelleth no good thing. And I, I go uh, up to um, a verse, uh, Romans seven eighteen, 18, uh, where we're in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. It's funny. It says, for I know that is in me. And then in parenthesis, it says that is in my flesh. He defines yeah. what part is in him. Not, why would he put that there if there weren't other parts? For I know that is in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. His flesh in his flesh dwelleth no good thing. So you go to uh, Ephesians, if I just lost Ephesians 2 and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins you in your flesh are dead your flesh let me ask dead. this let me ask this Jonathan so like you asked me okay so um when it's talking about dead in your trespasses and sins is that your soul that's dead no is your soul dead no okay your flesh you're alive you're walking is your flesh dead interest is your flesh that's dead here no no what is dead then your spirit your spirit okay when you look at this first we say oh yep we're dead in trespass and sins exactly which part of you your flesh isn't it's alive hearts beating walking around your soul isn't it knows good from evil it's got a conscience it could be evil or it could be good what is dead here your spirit is dead and by the way that's what it says in that verse there um the spirit is the thing that's going to be quickened the spirit is the thing that's going to be made alive um not their spirit, but God's spirit when he revives in you, which is John chapter three. And we already talked about that. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is one of the spirit is spirit. What has to be reborn is your spirit. Why? Because your spirit is dead and trespasses and sins. Your flesh isn't, it's alive. Now, one day this flesh is going to die and our flesh is going to be reborn in what's called a glorified body. Right now, the people that are in heaven don't have a glorified body. It says they they groan waiting for the adoption of the body. Their soul and spirit, Paul said, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Their soul and spirit are in heaven, but their flesh is not, and they're waiting one day for a glorified body. So when you understand the context of body, soul, and spirit, that verse makes total sense. We are dead and trespassing and sins, what is dead? Our spirit. And our spirit will then, then be reborn when our soul, who we are, mind, will, and emotions, when our mind accepts Jesus Christ as our Savior, that's our soul. Now the spirit then is reborn inside of us and we're saved. Uh, how simple is a verse like that that people go to seed on, we're dead, you're dead, you can't accept, you're dead. What's dead? Not your flesh, not right. your soul, your spirit. Pretty amazing. Says- Wherein time past, meaning this was before. Wherein time past, you walked according to the course of this world. So, and you hath he quickened. So at this point, they've accepted Christ because their spirit was quickened. Their spirit was redeemed. Their spirit was revived, born again, like in, in John 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus. It was in the past. They are now saved their spirit is alive again. And he talks about their past, how they were. So that means they can change from this position. And how does it happen? Because why is their position changed from being dead in trespasses and sin? 
because now they're not being judged based on their sin. They're, God's blood covered that. They're not judged based on their trespasses and sins anymore. Their spirit is alive and redeemed, and, and they'll never have to pay for their trespasses and sins. Amen. So I want to get to the big one in John six, and I want to make that the last one. And for you, if you're Calvinist and you're listening, you keep saying, what about John six? We're going to get to that. Okay. But I want to show you these other two verses. And these are all the verses that I could find that they use, by the way, <laughs> we mentioned RC scroll from the beginning there. Uh, John, then how many verses RC scroll, I believe has two uh, sessions on uh, this point. Number one, total depravity. Uh, how many verses does uh, RC use on this point? Specifically in, in the two, uh, ones where he is, he is teaching, he's teaching this point, explaining what it is, um, and the different controversy about it. He goes through all this history and everything about it. And in the two completely different times, different teachings where he's teaching this class, he used one verse in all of it. He used one verse. John six. We'll get to that in a minute, but I went through, I want to make sure we explain every verse. And if there's another verse that we didn't explain, send it to us. We can put a tag on it on one of our other issues, but Romans eight, seven and eight, because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So Jonathan explain that, especially even in the context of what we're talking about. And, and right, and because the carnal mind is an enmity against God, right? Our, our mind, where we sit, right, is, is against God. For it is, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If someone, such as a Jew, in which Paul addresses a lot, a Jew in that time that is trying to work their way to heaven through their carnal actions and their carnal mind, trying to live or sacrifice their way to heaven, which was never the way to heaven. It was supposed to be a schoolmaster to keep them close to God. And they were using that as you have to do this in order to get to heaven. You know, you can't do so many steps in a day and you can't, what are they doing? They're trying to work their way to heaven in their right. own power, in their own will, in their own carnal mind. We can't rely on our own mind and it's against God. And that's what it says here. Our carnal mind is in enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So your mind in, in the flesh cannot be with God. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Meaning simply this, if you are relying on your flesh to work your way to heaven, it can't please God. Th that's not going to please God. The only thing you can do is accept him and his perfect gift, not trying to do it in your flesh. Amen. So what we just laid out, foundation, body, soul, and spirit, so totally fits here, okay? So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, the carnal mind, okay? Now, the mind, we just talked about the conscience. You can have an evil seared conscience or you can have a good conscience, okay? Um, and so the carnal mind, we can have a mind that is looking at the things of God or a carnal mind that's enmity against God. But in our flesh, you can't please God. You can't get to heaven, but there's a body and a soul. And when we're reborn, there's a spirit. Okay. Last one before we go into John six, first Corinthians two 14, they use this, but the natural man, unsaved man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay. Jonathan on that. Apply, apply the same algorithm we just did. It, and this is, this is why it was so important at the beginning to get a foundation from Genesis. When you apply Genesis and what it talked about, they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There are three parts. They have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Within their soul, they have a conscience. Within their spirit, it is dead until they accept Christ and it becomes quickened. When you accept Christ, that is the quickening. And in their flesh, they are spiritually, they are not spiritually discerning. They can't do it in their flesh, but the natural man receive it, not the things of the spirit of God, the flesh. It's not going to receive the God. It's not going to receive God. And that's the same as Paul says, even once his spirit was redeemed, even once he was saved, what did he still have to do? He says, I die daily. What is he yeah. having to still battle with? Because the flesh is not dead until he dies. 
right? And then he can go to heaven and not deal with that sin nature anymore. But so then he will have the battle within him of the spirit and the flesh. But until you get saved, you'll never have that battle of the spirit and flesh. So the natural man, he's not going to receive the things of the spirit of God until he accepts God. And then he would not be the natural man anymore uh, for they are foolishness unto him. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. What does that even mean to him? Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. These things are of God. How can he understand them unless the spirit is inside him? And you can have the conscience that will lead you to him, but the, the natural man is not going to understand these things completely right. uh, on his own. Yeah, very simple. If you're not saved, you're not going to get the things of the Spirit of God. That Spirit has to be reborn, but it has nothing to do with you being total inability to accept Christ. Your soul is still there that knows good and evil and can receive or accept something that's good, and you're not good because of that. So again, that base foundation of understanding who we are, body, soul, and spirit, spirit died, spirit needs to be reborn. All right. So the biggest one, and like you said, R.C. Scroll, the verse he used on this and that everyone uses for uh, the total uh, depravity is this. And this is where they get the total inability. Um, total depravity, depravity says we believe we're sinners and our flesh is not good. and You can't get to heaven by your works and your deeds. We believe that. We agree with that. But when they change it to total inability, you don't have the ability to get saved unless God draws you, and here's the verse, okay? So um, John 6, um, 44, okay? Uh, John 6, 44. And um, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So that verse, totally by himself, not comparing Scripture to Scripture, not looking at context, okay, there it is. You can't come to God unless God draws you. Now, um, but then we make a jump and a leap on that to say that who's God going to draw? Only the chosen, only the few, only the predestined. Uh, and we'll get into that on another point. But that's what we do. We say those are only the ones that are going to go because those are the only ones that God draws. Now, I'm going to go to John 6. And Jonathan's going to go back to John. I'm going to go to John 12. Jonathan's going to go back to John 6. And when you put the Bible together, when you keep reading, keep understanding, okay, here's what John, uh, here's what John 12 says and how important this is to be able to understand this. Um, so first, John 6, 44, no man can come to me except the Father with which has sent me, draw him, and I'll raise him up the last day. John 12, Jesus said, and if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he would die. He said, when I be lifted up from the earth, and by the way, that's not lifted up like praise Jesus, praise Jesus. When I am lifted up from the earth, signifying what death he would die, the cross, okay? Um, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me, all men. Okay, so is it true? No one can come to the Father except the Father draw him? Sure. Who's the Father going to draw? Everybody through Jesus Christ being lifted up on the earth. Okay, through Jesus Christ on the cross. I don't know how many times I've witnessed to people and they were not serious. They were not interested. They really didn't want to know, but they're letting me go through it to be polite. But when you hit the cross, when you hit what Jesus did, now he bled and died and beer plucked out of his face and crown of thorns and nail pierced and all that. Now they're interested, <laughs> which is exactly what this verse says. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he would die. When I die on the cross, I'm going to use that to draw all men unto me. You still have a choice. You can accept or reject it. We'll talk more about that in um, um, Irresistible Grace. Um, but but he told him there that God's going to draw all men unto me. We take that one verse. Oh, no, it's spooky. You can't come unless the Father draws you in. Um, but how many is it going to draw? Everybody. Okay. Now, you don't have to go out of John 6 to understand that verse, but it's amazing. When you compare Scripture to Scripture, all right, how clear it is. We've always said the Bible is the best commentary on itself. Um, if you have a question about God drawing somebody, why don't you look in the other place in the Bible to see when God talks about drawing people? And guess what? Now it puts clarity on that verse that we had. And so many times they take a big leap. They say, okay, here's a verse. No man can come to the Father except he draw him. 
and God's only going to draw a few people. Now, that's a big jump. You didn't compare scripture to scripture. Okay. But if all you want to look at was John 6 in context, you can still get that. So Jonathan, go for it. All right. So we'll uh, reread uh, John, John 6, 44. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. And then go down to uh, John 6, 65, and we'll just read this verse too, because they're basically the same thing, uh, because he's just reiterating it. And he said, therefore, I said unto you, so he's talking about verse 44 that he had just said, therefore, I said unto you, no man can come unto me, except it were given of him by my father, given of him of my father. So it would look at first glance, if you're just taking this verse here and that verse there. And I think this happens from people reading the Bible and they read across things they don't understand. They don't understand. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. And they get something like this and they go, huh, well, I guess that means this. And they forget all of the verses in between. All of the verses in between that talked about other things that then they pull out those two verses and they don't understand all the context to it. So if you go, uh, um, God drawing someone, right? What is he what is God trying, what does God have to do with, with Jesus, his son? Uh, who sent Jesus? God, the Father. Right. Jesus talks about if he was on, if, uh, if he could get out of it, basically. When he was praying to God, he was like, hey, if, if let this cup pass let from me. Let this cup pass from me. Yep. yep. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So the will of God is what? Is that Jesus come and die. Jesus would have rather, and like most of us or all of us, we would have rather just let this pass to somebody else. Somebody else take this up. But uh, the will of God is what? Well, it's interesting. Even in this passage, it answers that. In John 6, same chapter. We're not leaving the chapter. In John 6, 40, it says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. And it's interesting, it says the same uh, little tag on the end, and I will raise him up in the last day. And at the end of verse 44, and I will raise him up in the last day. These are connecting verses. And this is the will of him that sent me, God, right? So if you want to come to Jesus, you have to do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? That of all which have, excuse me, I'm reading verse 39. And this is the will of the Father that sent me that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him. This is the will of the Father, that you believe on the Son. You have to go, and he's saying, you can't come to me unless you believe what the Father first said, which is to believe on me, may have everlasting life. If you want to come to Jesus, you have to first believe the prophecies. You have to first believe what the father said, that there's somebody coming and I am he. And how many times did he try to pound this into everybody's head that I am he, I am the one. And here you have the will of the father is this, that you believe that everyone which seeth the son and believe, believeth, because a lot of people saw and didn't believe, but and believeth may have everlasting life and I will raise him up in the last day. It is as simple as that. He's just saying, you have to listen to what the father said first. He was talking about me. If you understand that, then you can understand that I'm him. And then believe on me and you'll be saved. Amen. Also, uh, Jonathan, that says may have everlasting life. Uh, is there a difference in may and can? Hmm. It's a, that, that, I feel like I've, I've learned something about that in, in English before. Uh, can, you know, if you, oh, can I have that? No, I don't know. Can you? Uh, we've all had a, a teacher like that. And it's funny I, listening to, to R.C. Sproul and he went through the same thing. But they, it's, it's funny. They don't want to apply it everywhere. And they, they find something that they want to tag it on. But it says may have everlasting life. What right there? What is the difference of whether or not you have everlasting life? Whether you choose to accept God. It says that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. Some people will see, but they won't believe. You have to believe and accept him into your heart. Then, then you can have everlasting life and not uh, 
and not just something that is forcing you or that is drawing you without your permission. Because it is funny, yeah. they say that someone is drawn to the Father, but it is, they're not forced. And since we're talking about drawing in, the, in this right now, they're not forced, but they, they do the circular reasoning that someone is not forced against their will. God goes into them and changes something inside them to where they will want to go to God. So you're telling me that he changes something inside them against their will. They didn't have any, and you could say, well, they, it wasn't against their will. They didn't know about it. Well, they didn't know about it. So he changes, God changes something inside them to where they will want God. And then they can accept God. So there's like two salvations that they've got basically. And still no. it's not against their will. You can't play both. It's either against their will or, or, or it isn't uh, because they, they, <laughs> I was listening to it and I was like, wait, wait, I, I don't follow that. And, uh, but he likes to slow it down and say, see, it's, he changes something inside you and then you want him. Wait, you changed something inside them with against against their will. Yes, but but he changed something inside you to where you would want him against their will. But but now it's not against your will because he changed something inside you. <laughs> yeah, this verse is so beautiful and neat. When answered so many of those things there, um, I just want to summarize it, and then we'll uh, we'll end on this. But and this is the will of him that sent me. So the will of the Father. Okay, the will of the Father, that's who sent him. That's what it was. Jesus had to die. Um, in Old Testament, it says that, that his soul would be that, that satisfied. The justice of God now is satisfied by seeing what Jesus went through. Okay, that's the Father that everyone would see at the Son and believeth on him. How many? Well, that's just a few. That's not everybody. Uh, that's just, wait, wait, everyone? It says everyone. Everyone which seeth the Son and believeth, that's your choice, okay? And how do you know it's your choice? May have everlasting life. So when you say, Mommy, can I have some candy? I don't know. Can you? Do you have the ability to have candy? Do you have the ability to have candy? That's not the question. It's may I? Yes, I have the ability to have candy, but may I have it? Do you give that to me in permission? It's you may have everlasting life. Do you have the ability? Yes. This whole point is they believe it's total inability. Well, now he's saying you may have everlasting life. That's your choice. You have to believe. That's your choice to believe. You've given a choice. And we'll get into that in, um, in uh, more and later, but the total depravity really really understand, understanding we are depraved, we're sinners, we deserve hell. But there is a soul that has a conscience and the law written on our heart that we can choose to accept that good that he did for us. We can choose that. Uh, and our conscience is convicting us. Unsaved people, we show that. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that sees the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. You may. You may. I, what may I? You have to take it. You have to accept it. You have to choose it for yourself. And when people say, oh, you cannot come unless the Father draws him, oh, wait. <laughs> because God sent his son Jesus to the cross, he's going to draw how many people? All men unto him. He's going to draw you. It's your choice to accept it or not. Okay. Now, there's a lot, I'm sure, just like uh, when you talk to people about baptism regeneration, they believe you got to be baptized. When you pin them down on one verse, they just jump to another one. We'll get to that. Okay. There's other points. I know. But what about, but what about? We'll get to that. But to understand this point, okay, in our flesh, absolutely no good thing. But you have a soul. And that soul knows good from evil. And the soul, given an opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior, can accept it. The dead in trespasses and sin is their spirit that's dead. Flesh is still alive. Um, our soul is alive. It's our spirit that's dead that has to be reborn. Okay? And so um, I hope that you see that, understand it. Would love for that to be a light that comes on and goes, oh, wow, I've never thought about that. The soul is still there and can choose. Our sinners, flesh, nature, absolutely, that's bad. But our soul has the ability to choose good and evil from Genesis. Jonathan, any uh, summary or thought or anything we missed or anything you want to tag on to? Uh, just on a thinking over this, what 
a leap to go from, yes, you're totally depraved, to because you're totally depraved, you can't accept God. It, it is such a leap to say, I'm so bad, I can't accept good. Yes, I'm so bad, but it's because I'm so bad that I have to accept good. Amen. And that soul that God created me with can accept that because Adam, my father, ate of the tree. And just the same as the sin nature is passed down, the same, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that conscience is also passed down to me that I can understand that I am bad. I know that I am bad, that I am depraved. And because of that, that's why I want to accept God. Because why would I want to accept God if I didn't realize I was bad? Amen. It is because I'm bad that I want to accept God. And it is such a leap to say, you're depraved so you can't accept the goodness of God. No, it's because I'm depraved that I know I need the, the goodness of God. Amen. All right, that's super. Well, that's point one. If you have other questions, you can email us, the fundamental baptist podcast at gmail.com. We'll do our best to answer those. If uh, you send an email, I haven't answered it yet, I'll get to that. And uh, we'll add that in one of our points if it happens to deal with this. Okay. So I uh, hope that was a help. Uh, if you got a question, let us know. Jonathan, thank you for coming on and doing this with me. And uh, um, we'll either every week or every other week, we may take a week off in between and I'll teach something else, but we will get through all five points of these. Um, and, uh, but this is fascinating foundational for you to understand body, soul, and spirit. If you understand that truth, oh, wow, this makes sense. We do have a soul. The soul has a conscience. The laws are not on our hearts. We know good from evil. We can choose to accept good. We're not good, but we can choose to accept the good that was given to us by God. And drawing him, yes, God through the Son and the cross draws everyone. And it's our choice to accept it or not. All right. God bless you. Take care, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thefundamentalbaptistpodcast at gmail.com.